are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. The Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition of 1914 through 1917 is also known as the Endurance Expedition is considered the last major expedition of the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. Conceived by Sir Ernest Shackleton, the expedition was an attempt to make the first land crossing of the Antarctic continent. After the conquest of the South Pole by Roald Amundsen in 1911, this crossing from sea to sea remained, in Shackleton's words, the one great main object of Antarctic journeying. The expedition failed to accomplish this objective, but became recognized instead as an epic feat of endurance. Shackleton had served in the Antarctic on Captain Scott's Discovery Expedition between 1901 and 1904 and had led the British Antarctic Expedition from 1907 to 1909. In this new expedition, he proposed to sail to the Weddell Sea and to land a shore party near Vassell Bay in preparation for a transcontinental march through the South Pole to the Ross Sea. A supporting group known as the Ross Sea Party would meanwhile travel to the opposite side of Antarctica, establish camp in McMurdo Sound, and from there lay a series of supply depots across the Ross Ice Shelf to the foot 
of the Beardmore Glacier. These depots would be essential for the Transcontinental Party's survival, as the party would not be able to carry enough provisions for the entire crossing. The expedition required two ships, Endurance under Shackleton for the Weddell Sea Party and Aurora under Captain Aeneas McIntosh for the Ross Sea Party. Endurance became beset in the ice of the Weddell Sea before reaching Basel Bay, and despite efforts to free her, she drifted northward, held in the pack ice throughout the Antarctic winter of 1950. Eventually, the ship was crushed and sunk, stranding her 28-man complement on the ice. After months spent in makeshift camps, as the ice continued its northwards drift, the party took to lifeboats to reach the inhospitable, uninhabited Elephant Island. Shackleton and five others made the then 800-mile open boat journey in the James Carrad lifeboat to reach South Georgia. From there, Shackleton was eventually able to mount a rescue of the men waiting on Elephant Island and bring them home without loss of life. On the other side of the Antarctic continent, the Ross Sea Party overcame great hardships to fulfill its mission. The Aurora was blown from her moorings, moorings during a gale and was unable to return, leaving the shore party marooned without proper supplies or equipment. Nevertheless, the food depots were laid, but three lives were lost in the process. Despite the public acclaim that had greeted Shackleton's achievements during the Nimrod expedition in 1907 through 1909, the explorer was unsettled, becoming, in the words of British ski pioneer Sir Harry Brittain, a bit of a floating gent. He wanted to return to the Antarctic but his future plans now depended on the results of Scott's Terra Nova expedition, which had left Cardiff in July 1910. The unexpected news of Amundsen's conquest of the South Pole reached Shackleton on March 11, 1912. This meant a change of focus no matter what Scott's expedition achieved. Shackleton wrote, The discovery of the South Pole 
will not be the end of Antarctic exploration. The next work, he said, would be a transcontinental journey from sea to sea crossing the pole. However, there were others who were in the field pursuing this objective. On December 11, 1911, a German expedition under Wilhelm Filchner had sailed from South Georgia with the purpose of penetrating deep into the Weddell Sea, establishing a southerly base, and from there attempting to cross the continent to the Ross Sea. In late 1912, Filchner returned to South Georgia having failed to set up his base headquarters. However, his discovery of possibly landing sites in Vahel Bay at around 78 degrees latitude was noted by Shackleton and incorporated into his expedition plans. Despite the news of the fate of Captain Scott and his companions on their return journey from the South Pole, Shackleton initiated preparations for his own transcontinental expedition. He solicited financial and practical support from, among others, Tigriv Gran of Scott's expedition and former Prime Minister Lord Rosebery, but received no help from either. Gran was evasive and never supported, and Roseberry was blunt, saying, I have never been able to care one farthing about the Poles. Shackleton got support, however, from William Spears Bruce, leader of the Scottish National Antarctic Expedition of 1902 through 1904 who had harbored plans for an Antarctic crossing since 1908, but had abandoned the project for lack of funds. Bruce gladly allowed Shackleton to adopt his plans, although the eventual scheme announced by Shackleton owed little to Bruce. On December 29, 1913, having acquired his first promises of financial backing, a 10,000-pound grant from the British government, Shackleton made his plans public in a letter to the newspaper The Times. After the conquest of the South Pole by Amundsen, who, by a narrow margin of days only, was in advance of the British expedition under Scott, there remained but one great main objective of Antarctic journeying, the crossing of the South Pole continent from sea to sea. Shackleton called his new expedition the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition because he felt that not only the people of these islands but our kinsmen in all lands under the Union Jack 
will be willing to assist towards carrying out of the program of exploration. To arouse the interest of the general public, Shackleton issued a detailed program early in 1914. The expedition was to consist of two parties and two ships. The Weddell Sea Party would travel in endurance and continue to the Vassell Bay area where 14 men would land, of whom six under Shackleton would form the Transcontinental Party. This group with 69 dogs, two motor sledges and equipment embodying everything that the experience of the leader and his expert advisors can suggest, would undertake the 1800 mile or 2900 kilometer journey to the Ross Sea. The remaining eight shore party members would carry out scientific work, three going to Graham Land, three to Endenbury Land, and two remaining at base camp. The Ross Sea Party was to travel in the Ross Sea base in McMurdo Sound on the opposite side of the Antarctic continent. After landing, they would lay food and equipment depots on the route of the Trans Transcontinental Party as far as the Beardmore Glacier, hopefully meeting that party there and assisting at home. They would also make geological and other observations. In his program, Shackleton expresses the intention that the crossing should take place, if possible, in the first season in the years 1914 through 1915. Later, he recognized the impracticality of this, but sadly neglected to inform McIntosh of his change of plan. According to Daily Chronicle correspondent Ernest Paris, McIntosh's instructions should have been corrected by cable, but this was never sent. Shackleton estimated that he would need 50,000 pounds, current equivalent value in today's sterling would be $3,500,000 to carry out the simplest version of his plans. He did not believe in appeals to the public because they cause endless bookkeeping worries. His chosen method of fundraising was to solicit contributions from wealthy backers and he had begun the process early in 1913 with little initial success. The first significant encouragement came in December 1913 when the British government offered him 10,000 pounds, provided he could raise an equivalent amount from private sources. The Royal Geographical Society, from which he had expected nothing, gave him 1,000 pounds, according to Huntford, 
Shackleton, in a grand gesture, advised them that he would need only take up half of this sum. Lord Rosebery, who had previously expressed his lack of interest in polar expeditions, gave 50 pounds. In February 1914, the New York Times reported that playwright J.M. Barry, a close friend of Captain Scott, had confidentially donated $50,000, or about 10,000 pounds. With time running out, contributions were eventually secured during the spring and early summer of 1914. Dudley Docker of the Birmingham Small Arms Company gave 10,000 pounds. Wealthy tobacco heiress Janet Stancomb Wills gave a generous sum. This amount was never revealed. And in June, Scottish industrialist Sir James Caird donated 24,000 pounds. The current value in today's sterling would be $1.7 million. Shackleton informed the Morning Post that this magnificent gift receives, relieves me of all anxiety. Shackleton now had the money to proceed. He acquired for 14,000 pounds, or current value of $1 million, a 300-ton ship called Polaris, which had been built for the Belgian explorer Adrian del Gerlachi for an expedition to Spitsbergen. This scheme had collapsed and the ship became available. Shackleton changed her name to Endurance, reflecting on his family motto, By Endurance We Conquer. For a further 3,200 pounds, current value $228,000, he acquired Douglas Mawson's expedition ship Aurora, which was lying in Hobart, Tasmania. This would act as the Ross Sea Party's vessel. The total amount raised by Shackleton is uncertain, since the size of Stancomb Will's donation is not known. However, lack of money was an ongoing problem for the expedition. As an economic measures of the proportion of funding allocated to the Ross Sea Party was halved, a fact which the party's commander, Aeneas McIntosh, discovered when he arrived in Australia to take up his duties. McIntosh was forced to haggle and plead for money and supplies to make his part of the expedition viable. Lack of money would also hamper the operation to rescue the Ross Sea Party when this need arose in the year 1916. Shackleton had, however, raised the revenue earning potential of the expedition. He sold the exclusive newspaper rights to the Daily Chronicle and formed the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Film Syndicate to take advantage of the film rights. Later, as Shackleton set out for the South Georgia and the James Carrot, 
He left instructions for Frank Wilde concerning the lecture tour schedule should Shackleton fail to return. Shackleton received more than 5,000 applications for places on the expedition, including a letter from three sporty girls who suggested that if their feminine garb was inconvenient, they would just love to don masculine attire. Shackleton turned down their request. Eventually, the crews for each arm of the expedition were trimmed down to 28 apiece, including William Bakewell, who joined the ship in Buenos Aires, his friend Pierce Blackborough, who stowed away when the app his application was turned down, and several last-minute appointments made to the Ross Sea Party in Australia. A temporary crewman was Sir Daniel Gooch, who stepped in to help Shackleton as dog handler at the last moment and who left endurance at South Georgia. For the expedition's second-in-command, Shackleton chose Frank Wilde, who had been with him on both the Discovery and the Nimrod expeditions and had been the furthest south party in 1909. Wilde, had just returned from Mawson's Australian Antarctic Expedition. To Captain Endurance, Shackleton had wanted John King Davis, who had commanded Aurora during the Australian Antarctic Expedition. Davis refused, thinking the enterprise was foredoomed. So the appointment went to Frank Worsley, who reportedly had replied to the expedition after learning of it in a dream. Royal Navy Chief Petty Officer Tom Cream, who had been awarded the Albert Medal for saving the life of Lieutenant Evans on the Terra Nova expedition, took leave from the Navy to sign on as Endurance's second officer. Another experienced Antarctic hand, Alfred Cheatham, became the third officer. Two Nimrod veterans were assigned to the Ross Sea Party. Aeneas McIntosh, who commanded it, and Ernest Joyce. Shackleton had hoped that the Aurora would be staffed by a naval crew and had asked the Admiralty for officers and men, but was turned down. After pressing his case, Shackleton was given one officer from the Royal Marines, Captain Thomas Ord Lees, who was the superintendent of physical training at the Marines Training Depot. The scientific staff of six accompanying Endurance comprised the two surgeons, Alexander Maiklin and James McElroy, and geologist James Wordy, biologist Robert Clark, physicist Reginald James, and meteorologist Leonard Hussey, who would eventually edit Shackleton's expedition's account south. The visual recordings of the expedition was the responsibility of photographer Frank Hurley and artist George Martson. The final composition of the Ross Sea Party was also hurried. Some who left Britain for Australia to join Aurora resigned before it departed for the Ross Sea, and a full complement of crew was in doubt until the last minute.
Only Macintosh and Joyce had any previous Antarctic experience. Macintosh had lost an eye as a result of an accident during their Nimrod expedition and had gone home early from that expedition. Endurance without Shackleton, who was detained in England by expedition business, left Plymouth on August 8, 1914, heading first for Buenos Aires. Here Shackleton, who had traveled on a faster ship, rejoined the expedition. Hurley also came on board, and William Bakeville and stowaway Pierce Blackborough were added to the crew. Several others left or were discharged. On October 26th, the ship sailed for South Atlantic, arriving in South Georgia on November 5th. After a month-long halt in the Grivikan whaling station, Endurance departed for the Antarctic on December 5th. Two days later, Shackleton was dis disconcerted to encounter pack ice as far north as 57 degrees, forcing the ship to maneuver. During the following days, there were more tussles with the pack, which on December 14th was thick enough to halt the ship for 24 hours. Three days later, the ship was stopped again. Shackleton commented, I had been prepared for evil conditions in the Weddell Sea, but I had hoped that the pack would be loose. What we were encountering was fairly dense pack of very obstinate character. Endurance's progress was frustratingly slow until December 22nd leads opened up and the ship was able to continue steadily southward. This continued for the next two weeks, taking the party deep into the Weddell Sea. Further delays then slowed progress after the turn of the year before a lengthy run south during January 7th through 10th, 1915, brought them close to the 100 feet ice walls, which were guarded the Antarctic coastal region on the Coates land. This territory had been discovered and named by William Spears Bruce in 1904 during the Scottish National Antarctic Expedition. On January 15th, Endurance came abreast of a great glacier, the edge of which formed a bay which appeared a good landing place. However, Shackleton considered it too far north of Paseo Bay for landing, except under pressure of necessity, a decision he would later regret. On January 17th, the ship reached a latitude of 76 degrees south where land was faintly discernible. Shackleton named it Caird Coast after his principal backer. Bad weather forced the ship to shelter in the lee of a stranded iceberg. They were now close to Liplold Land, discovered by Filchner in 1912 at the southern end, which lay their destination, Basel Bay. Next day, the ship was forced westward for 14 miles, resuming in a generally southerly direction before being stopped altogether. 
This position was 76 degrees south, 31 degrees west. After 10 days of inactivity, the ship's fires were banked to save fuel. Strenuous efforts were made to release her. On February 14th, Shackleton ordered the men on the ice with ice chisels, saws, and picks to try to force a passage, but the labor proved futile. Shackleton did not, at this stage, abandon all hope of breaking free, but was now contemplating the possibility of having to spend a winter in the inhospitable arms of the pack. On February 21, 1915, Endurance, still held fast, drifted to her most southerly latitude of 76 degrees south. Thereafter, she began moving with the pack in a northerly direction. On February 24th, Shackleton realized that they would be held in the ice throughout the winter and ordered ship's routines abandoned. The dogs were taking off board and housed in ice kennels or dog loos, and the ship's interior was converted to suitable winter quarters for the various groups of men, officers, scientists, engineers, and seamen. A wireless apparatus was rigged, but their location was too remote to receive or transmit signals. Shackleton was aware of the recent example of Wilhelm Filchner's ship the Deutschland, which had become icebound in the same vicinity three years earlier. After Filchner's attempt to establish a land base at Vassell Bay failed, his ship Deutschland was trapped on March 6, 1912, about 200 miles off the coast Coates Land. Six months later, at low altitude 63 degrees, the ship broke free and then sailed to South Georgia apparently none the worse for its ordeal. Shackleton thought that a similar experience might allow Endurance to make a second attempt to reach Vassell Bay in the following Antarctic Spring. In February and March, the rate of drift was very slow. At the end of March, Shackleton calculated that the ship had traveled a mere 95 miles since 19th, January 19th. However, as winter set in, the speed of drift increased and the condition of the surrounding ice changed. On April 14th, Shackleton recorded the nearby ice pack as piling and rafting against the masses of ice. If the ship was caught in this disturbance, she would be crushed like an eggshell. In May, the sun set for the winter months. The ship was at 75 degrees south, 42 degrees west, still drifting generally northerly direction. It would be at least four months before spring brought the chance of an opening of the ice, and there was no certainty that endurance would break free in time to attempt a return to Fassel Bay area. Shackleton now considered the possibility of finding an alternative landing ground on the western shores of the Weddell Sea, if that coast could be reached. In the meantime, he wrote, we must wait. In the dark winter months of May, June, and July, 
Shackleton was concerned to maintain fitness, training, and morale, although the scope for activity was limited. The dogs were exercised and on occasion raced competitively. Men were encouraged to take moonlight walks, and aboard ship there were attempted theatricals. Special occasions such as Empire's Day, May 24th, were duly celebrated. The first sign of ice breaking up occurred on July 22nd. On the 1st of August, in a southwesterly gale with heavy snow, the ice flow began to break up all around the ship, the pressure forcing masses of ice beneath the keel, causing a heavy list to port. The position was perilous, Shackleton wrote. The effects of the pressure around us was awe-inspiring. Mighty blocks of ice rose slowly till they jumped like cherry stones, gripped between thumb and finger. If the ship was once gripped firmly, her fate would be sealed. This danger passed, and the succeeding weeks were quiet. During this relative lull, the ship drifted in the area where, in 1823, Captain Benjamin Morale of the Sealer Wasp reported seeing a coastline which I, he identified as New South Greenland. There was no sign of any such land. Shackleton concluded that Morell had been deceived by the presence of large icebergs. On September 30th, the ship sustained what Shackleton described as the worst squeeze we had experienced. Worsley described the pressure as being thrown to and fro like a shuttlecock a dozen times. On October 24th, the starboard side was forced against a large ice floe, increasing the pressure until the hull began to bend and splinter so that the water from below the ice began to pour into the ship. When the timbers broke, they made noises which sailors later described as being similar to the sound of heavy fireworks and the blasting of guns. The supplies and three lifeboats were transferred to the ice while the crew attempted to shore up the boat's hull and pump out the incoming sea. But after a few days, on October 27, 1915, and and in freezing temperatures below 15 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 25 degrees Celsius, Shackleton was forced to give orders to abandon ship. The position at abandonment was recorded at 69 degrees south, 51 degrees west. The wreckage remained afloat and over the following weeks the crew salvaged further supplies and materials, including Hurley's photographs and camera that had been initially left behind. From around 550 plates, Hurley chose the best 150, the maximum that could be carried, and then he smashed the rest. With the loss of the ship and the transcontinental plans were abandoned, and the focus shifted to that of shoes. The men were running low on shoes and they had to make new shoes 
out of wood from the scavenged pieces of ship. Shackleton's intention now was to march the crew westward to one or other of the several possible destinations. His first thought was for Paulet Island, where he knew there was a substantial food depot. Why? Because he had ordered it 12 years earlier while organizing relief for Otto Nordenskjöld's Swedish expedition in 1902 through 1904. Other possibilities were Snow Hill Island, which had been Nordenskjöld's winter quarters, or Robertson Island. Shackleton believed that from one of these islands they would be able to reach and cross Graham land and get to the whaling outpost in Wilhelmina Bay. He calculated that on the day Endurance was abandoned, they were 346 miles from Paulet Island. Worsley, the navigator, calculated the distance to Snow Hill Island to be 312 miles or 500 kilometers with a further 120 miles or 190 kilometers to Wilhelmina Bay. He believed the march was too risky. They should wait until the ice carried them to open water and escape in the boats. Shackleton overruled him. The march started on October 30th with two of the two of the ship's lifeboats carried on sledges. Before the journey could begin, Shackleton had the unpleasant task of ordering the weakest animals to be shot, which included Mrs. Chippy, the carpenter Harry McNish's cat, and a pup, which had become a pet of the surgeon Macklin. Problems quickly arose. As the condition of the ice around them worsened, according to Hurley, the navigator, the surface became a labyrinth of hummocks and ridges in which barely a square yard was smooth. In three days, the party managed to travel barely two miles, and on November 1st, Shackleton abandoned the march. They would make camp and await the breakup of ice. They gave the name Ocean Camp to the flat and solid-looking ice flow on which their aborted march had ended. They settled down to wait. Parties continued to revisit the endurance wreck, which was still drifting with the ice a short distance from their camp. More of the abandoned supplies were retrieved until on November 21, 1915. The ship, the endurance, finally slipped beneath the ice.
the ice was not drifting fast enough to be noticeable. Although, by late November, the speed was up to seven miles a day. By December 5th, they had just passed 68 degrees south, but the direction was turning slightly east of north. This was taking them to a position from which it would be difficult to reach Snow Hill Island. Although Paulette Island, further north, remained a possibility. It was about 250 miles or 400 kilometers away and Shackleton was anxious to reduce the length of the lifeboat journey that would be necessary to reach it. Therefore, on December 21st, he announced a second march to begin on December 23rd. Conditions, however, had not improved since the earlier attempt. Temperatures had risen and it was uncomfortably warm with men sinking to their knees in soft snow as they struggled to haul the boats through the pressure ridges. On December 27th, ship's carpenter Henry McNish rebelled and refused to work. He argued that the ship's articles had lapsed since endurance sinking and that he was no longer under orders. Shackleton's firm remonstrance finally brought the carpenter to heel, but the incident was never forgotten. Despite McNish's later contribution to the salvation of the party, he was one of four men denied the Polar Medal on Shackleton's recommendation. Two days later, with only seven and a half miles or 12 kilometers progress achieved in seven backbreaking days, Shackleton called a halt, observing, it would take us over 300 days to reach land. The crew put up their tents and settled into what Shackleton called Patience Camp, which would be their home for more than three months. Supplies were now running low. Hurley and Macklin were sent back to Ocean Camp to recover food that had been left there to lighten the sledging team's burden. On February 2, 1916, Shackleton sent a larger party back to recover the third lifeboat. Food shortages became acute as the weeks passed and seal meat, which had added variety to their diet, now became a staple as Shackleton attempted to conserve the remaining packaged rations. In January, all but two teams of the dogs, whose 
overall numbers had been depleted by mishaps and illness in the preceding months were shot on Shackleton's orders because the dog's requirements for seal meat were excessive. The final two dog teams were shot on April 2nd by which time their meat was a welcome addition to the rations. Meanwhile, the rate of drift became erratic. After being held at around 67 degrees south for several weeks, at the end of January there was a series of rapid northeastward movements which, by March 17th, brought patients camp to the latitude of Paulet Island, but 60 miles or 97 kilometers to its east. It might have been 600 for all the chance we had of reaching it across the broken sea ice, Shackleton recorded. The party now had land more or less continuously in sight. The peak of Mount Haddington on James Ross Island remained in view as the party drifted slowly by. They were now too far north for Snow Hill or Paulet Island to be accessible. Shackleton wrote that all hopes were fixed on two remaining small islands at the northern extremity of Graham Land. These were Clarence Island and Elephant Island, around 100 miles or 160 kilometers due north of their position on March 25th. He had further thoughts and decided that Deception Island might make a better target destination. This lay far to the west, towards the end of a chain which formed the South Shetland Islands, but Shackleton's thought it might be attainable by island hopping. Its advantage was that it was sometimes visited by whalers and might contain provisions. All of these destinations would require a perilous journey in the lifeboats once the flow upon which they were drifting finally broke up. Earlier, the lifeboats had been named after the expedition's three chief financial sponsors, James Carrod, Doodly Docker, and Stamcom Wills. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.
goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.